Lord, we are so grateful for who you are and for what you give us. Jesus, that you give us joy in the midst of whatever we find ourselves walking through. Lord, we thank you that you came, Lord, in an ordinary way. God, in an unusual way. Lord, in a beautiful way that we might know who you are. Jesus, I'm reminded this morning that that you work in ordinary people. God, and that's such an encouragement to me because I'm one of those people. Lord, we're not perfect. We don't have everything together. We don't always say the right things. But Jesus, that does not disqualify us from having a relationship with you. God, from you working in and through us. God, to choose your joy. Holy Spirit, today as we we head into Advent, God, it, it kind of feels like we jumpstart the car and we run after Thanksgiving into this, this huge holiday. But God, I pray that, that our hearts and our minds would be focused on what really matters. It would be focused on the goodness that you were, you were sent to bring, on the redemption that you gave us. God, there are folks in our church that are are suffering from illness and pain right now, Lord, from injuries. Jesus, we we think of um, all of the folks that are missing even this morning um, because getting out of bed was hard enough. Lord, we pray that you would be with them, Jesus. Lord, that you would draw them near to you. God, we pray for people whose this time of year represents a very hard time of year. Lord, for the people that are missing around our our tables this season, Jesus. God, your word says that you are near to the brokenhearted, that you comfort those from those who are crushed in spirit, Jesus. We pray that you would be near to those. Lord, our church couldn't possibly reach every single hurting people, but we can pray for them, Lord. And so this morning we we pray for our city, for our zip code, for our little Knob Hill, for the Salvation Army just down the street, Jesus. God, we want to be a light for you. God, we love you so much. We trust you today. We came here just to listen to your voice. God, can we do just that? Would you silence every other voice that sets itself up against you, every distraction? And can we just lean into your presence? It's in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Isn't this stage beautiful? It's beautiful. I feel like I'm like preaching out in a forest. And I love it. Um, I I would like to give it up to Val for pulling all of these Christmas decorations together while I was out of town. So if I could get a round of applause for that. Um, I don't know if you know this, but her second name is Mrs. Christmas. So among other nicknames, but that one is probably one of her favorites, I would think. Um, Well, good morning. 
I was really worried that there was going to be a guest among us this morning and be really confused by our attire. Um, but I thought this was probably one of the best dressed Sundays that we have every year, uh, personally. I also wanted to dispel a, a few things. Um, this is, I think, our fourth time doing this um, as a church, doing PJ Sunday. And every single year, without fail, somebody comes to me and they talk to me about what they do or do not wear to bed. <laughs> um, and I, I, I got to say two things. One, um, this is not called what you wear to bed Sunday. This is called PJ Sunday. <laughs> and there is a difference, okay? Um, and second of all, like, as a pastor, I never thought that one day I would have to explain to people that they can't wear their underpants to church. Um, <laughs> Because I still need to be able to make eye contact with all of you guys after this. Um, so, so those are just a, a couple things, you know, maybe this is like a yearly PSA that I need to do so I can avoid those TMI conversations, but whatever. Um, anyway, welcome to Advent season, right? It is Christmas season. If you didn't know it, if you're still in like a turkey coma, uh, it is Christmas. Uh, it, it came. It came with Black Friday shopping. Uh, your wonderful, beautiful worship pastor, Elizabeth, called me as she was out Black Friday shopping. And it was kind of like hearing something that, I don't know, like you would imagine somebody was out on like the field and like the army and I'm going to get it. I'm going to aisle five. So um, you can pray for her. Hopefully she gets back intact. Um, she was actually stuck in Wyoming because of the snow today. Uh, they got a lot of snow. Her dad's truck even got stuck in the snow, uh, which I don't think happens very often in Wyoming. Um, but she couldn't be here with us this morning. And I, I'm excited for the Christmas season because I love Christmas. Uh, I am one of those people that does not start watching Christmas movies until the day after Thanksgiving. And the Christmas decorations go down the day after Christmas. Um, for those of you who keep them up until Valentine's Day, I'm sorry, but uh, that's just, that's the sweet spot. And I think that with Christmas comes a lot of expectations, doesn't it? Like, what's going to happen this year? You know, as I traveled home to see my family for Thanksgiving, I thought, who's going to be there? And who's not going to be there? And who am I going to try to avoid talking to um, about things? Uh, who, who, what am I going to see? You know, and Christmas, you have the gift situation. So then you're wondering, has he listened to all of the hints that I have dropped him? Uh, my mom wasn't going to play that game. Uh, she would actually circle things in the JCPenney ad and star things that she really loved and just leave it on the counter for my dad. <laughs> uh, we have expectations. You know, will it be a white Christmas? Will the kids finally come home? Will we make it through one dinner without my sister and my dad getting into an all-out drag-out fight? Who will we see? What will they say? How will I answer? You know, maybe this year is the Christmas that I won't be spending it alone. All of these expectations that we place on Christmas. And then Christmas comes and it goes. And, and we put the Christmas trees away the day after Christmas, if you're in the Hafner household. And, and we put away with that Christmas tree just like good riddance to Christmas. Because those expectations are rarely met, are they? 
There's always something. There's always things that could have gone better. There, there's always things that just have not been met. And we put the Christmas decorations away and we say, maybe next year. Maybe next year it will measure up. And what I want to suggest this Christmas is that we have our Christmas spirit on backwards. Um, that, that, that we don't really know what we want for Christmas. And that maybe, just maybe, what we want for Christmas is already sitting at your doorstep, waiting for you to open it up. Uh, maybe what our hearts really want is not what we think. So this morning we are going to kick off All I Want for Christmas. And every week we're going to be looking at these longing and these desires that we have from God and how they're solved in the Christmas story. Every uh, series I like to start off with prayer, so would you pray with me together? Jesus, we are excited for this new series. Lord, we, we lay ourselves before you and we ask that you would speak to us clearly. Lord, that you would, would talk to us. Lord, that you would settle some things deep inside of our hearts and our minds this Christmas season. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So the other day I was reading an article in the World Magazine, and uh, it was called Anonymous Dads. And this article was about uh, scientific or artificial insemination and the children that it produces. Now, the industry calls them third-party reproductions. Uh, They happen somewhere between 20,000 and 40,000 a year in the United States. Um, these third-party reproductions. And the article calls us uh, to think seriously about some of the effects of what it's like to be born in this way. Now, the psychological effects uh, that this has on a a person when they are a donor conceived, and one of them uh, made a comment. It said, I don't really think that society can have empathy for me because our origins are different. Now, fortunately, through science and through social media, these people are able to find their dads, to locate them, and maybe even foster a relationship with them. One man, he uh, was 32 years old at the time of the article, and he's this genius engineer guy who makes more money than I'll ever experience in an entire lifetime, and he hunts down his dad. And he sends him letter after letter, phone call, and he doesn't get any responses until this came in the mail one day. It said, I most probably gave you life and exceptional genes, but I don't think that I have any, I should have any personal discomfort in my life because of that act of kind service. Good night and good life. These people are twice as likely to suffer from addictive behaviors. They often report problems with the law before turning 25 years old. They're one and a half times as likely to have mental health issues. They're more likely to disengage with their community, to be a loner. One donor said, it bothers me that money had to do with my origin. He said he found his father, and when he found his father, he found out that his father was a part of producing 500 other people besides him. 
And this is what he said about that. He said, you don't feel human. You feel like there's a doll manufacturer who cranked out a hundred dolls and you're just one of them. You're a product that somebody bought. And when I read this article, I began to think how closely this relates to Christians at times. We are Christians and we go to church and every week we are reminded of who we are and where we came from and what we're supposed to do. But we haven't met our Father. You know, you may have a pastor or a coach or a mentor or a friend who maybe led you to become a Christian and you can see Jesus in them. But at the end of the day, they are surrogate relationships, not our Father. So at the end of this, we have a detachment. We have a detachment from religion. Because we, at the end of the day, we know, is he really my dad? We probably are twice as likely to suffer from addictive behaviors, like overspending, lust, overconsumption, overperformance. We're tyrannized by the pressure to constantly push ourselves further, get more money, do more things, get more accolades, have more friends, always proving ourselves to someone we have never met. It's like coming to God and he says to us, I most probably gave you life, but I shouldn't have to just suffer any discomfort because of that. Good night and good life. Now, you wouldn't be as so crass to say it like that, I'm sure. But if you've ever prayed once and not been answered, you know what that feels like. If you have ever prayed and you felt the heavens close up above you, you know what that feels like. Good night and good life. And even sometimes when we see thousands of people coming to know Jesus, there are moments when you think, wow, it's like there's a doll maker out there making thousands of dolls, and I just happen to be one of them. Now, these feelings, they're deeply entrenched inside of us. You can't just throw them out the window. You have to coax them down a stair at a time. You have to, to get them out, because things that are complicated to get in are complicated to get out. It's the sectional that you moved in with. Coaxing it out the door is not so easy either. I remember uh, this was about a year or so ago, and I'm really kind of blessed that Elizabeth isn't here this morning because now I don't have to see her glare at me. Uh, she'll just have to listen to the podcast. Uh, but I remember there was a time, and it was when Elizabeth and I were just living together, and she had a refrigerator downstairs. And I was sitting, she went downstairs to go clean out this refrigerator. I'm sitting on my bed. I'm just like, I don't know, scrolling through Facebook or Pinterest or something, wasting time. And I hear some stuff happening in the basement, but I'm like, oh, maybe she's like moving boxes or something. It seems normal. And she texts me. She texts me and says, hey, do you have a minute? Um, could you help me with something really quick? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Where are you? And she said, the stairs. I thought, odd place, but okay. And I walk out, and if you've been in my house, you know how this happens. I look over the railing of the stairs, and what I see is Elizabeth laying down on the stairs 
and the refrigerator laying down on Elizabeth <laughs> because she had tried to coax the, the entire fridge up the stairs by herself. And that just wasn't going to happen. In the same way, these deep longings of our hearts, they're not going to happen easily, and it's not going to be solved by yourself. It happens in community. It happens through the Holy Spirit's work. It happens when we bind together and we realize our identity. And that's the problem with this, is that complicated, things that are complicated to get in are complicated to get out. And things like feeling distant from God, that has to be coaxed out. That doesn't come from just one Sunday with a preacher in her PJs, okay? <laughs> that comes from meditating on the Word of God. That comes from knowing who you are in Jesus. And then we're thrown into this Christmas season, and we are forced to have merriment and joy, all the while wrestling with this deep longing. Let me tell you, this season, it has a tendency to become an annual letdown, because deep down, I think we believe the hype that one day out of the year, all the bad in the world and inside of me will go away. And when it doesn't, we're disappointed. And so um, I, I want to walk you through this Advent season, and I want to look at these deep longings of our hearts. And the first one is this. Jesus is a father, and he wants to father me. Can you say that with me? Jesus is a father. He wants to father me. Now, I just used that word father twice in two different ways, right? The first one I used as a noun. It, it is something that he is. And then I used he wants to father me, which is something that he seems to do. And those are two very different things. Now, today we're going to start our story in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and we find an ordinary teenager on an ordinary day in an ordinary village have the most peculiar of situations happen. Luke 1, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel of, or the angel of Gabriel to Nazareth, a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I kind of love this, okay? Because somebody just kind of, I'm like knocks on your doorstep, and is like, greetings, highly favored one. Ooh, I, if that happened to me, I don't know if I would be excited. And as some translations actually translate it, hello, gifted lady. <laughs> you know, if somebody showed up at your door and was like, hello, gifted lady, I'd be like, thank you. I have everything I need. I'm going to shut my door now and lock it very tightly, right? And he shows up and he says, hello, gifted lady. And her first reaction, surprisingly enough, is not excitement. It's a little skepticism, a little confusion. Uh, verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The other, other versions use the word disturbed, okay? Uh, other ones say perplexed. And in the Greek, this word that they are trying to describe is only used one time. Here. That's it. Which I think makes sense. Because 
how, when other, what other time in scripture do you have a disorienting feeling like an angel showing up at your door and telling you that you're going to birth God? <laughs> Hello, gifted lady, you will bear the Son of God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's probably the, the most pregnant of pauses. Uh-huh. Okay. Verse, <laughs> Verse 30. Thank you for laughing at my jokes. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Huh, okay, all right. Uh, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. Now, let me tell you what. Mary was not interested in this baby's resume, okay? She was not interested in the legacy that this baby was going to produce. No, she was thinking, how is this going to work? Um, which I think is very reasonable to ask. She says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And Mary's like, cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, my baby oven is missing some ingredients. Without launching into a birds and bees conversation with you guys this morning, um, she says, how in the world? Um, Angel, I don't know if you know how things work, but that's not it. And she's confused. And she's like, okay, but how could this actually happen? Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary's like, oh, okay. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. No, absolutely not. She says, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Listen, she is smart enough to know what she doesn't know. She is smart enough to realize who she is talking to exceeds the limits of what she can understand. And she says, be it unto me. Can you say that? Be it unto me. Be it unto me like you have said, is what she says to him. Now Mary, she maybe doesn't have these thoughts. She might have. But as the days go on of this pregnancy, I imagine that this thought came to her, and that is this. If God has a son, he must be a father. If God has a son, he must be a father. You know, father isn't something that we call God. It's not a label. It's not a metaphor. It's not a nickname that we give him. No, it is something that he is. It is, it, it is his very essence. Because he has a son. So if God is not a father, by nature, he cannot be. I mean, he could be another God, but not the real one. God is a father, and some other God can exist, but not this God. See, this is a big deal, because some of us, we start at our earthly fathers, and we look at them to see what a father is, and no matter their best efforts, they always come up short. Uh, they, they might be distant or demanding. They might be anonymous or absent or abusive, or violent, or manipulative. And then somehow, because that is the only concept that we have ever seen, we project it on God. 
And we assume God is something like this guy that I had to deal with in my life. And it's even harder because then we have boxed God in uh, to, to these limited behaviors and rules, and we've taken an image of something that came after and projected it on the first. We say, this must be what a father is instead of the origin of the word. God is a father by nature. Father is, not, is, is his word. It isn't your dad's word. And it's an important step that God defines the word as father. He's not only the father that my father never was. He was a father that my father could never be. He loves us so deeply. And Mary could have had that thought. If God has a son, he must be a father. But then take that a step further. But if God's son is being born in me, he must also be my son. That's confusing, right? You know, how can this be that, that, that God has a son and that I have a son? How can I carry a son that isn't fully mine? And, and what, what happens is, is that this son is both God and me at the same time. And if I was married, I would have a holy, like, you know, like, I'd be messed up for a while, okay? Uh, but it would be like, how does this happen? How, how, how do I birth this child and God at the same time? If this child is God's son, he must really know God. If this son is coming through me, he must know God in the most remarkable way that we can know God in our humanity. To put it a different way, Jesus was fully human and fully connected with God. Meaning, he knows God the way that God wants to be known. I never thought that that was possible on this side of heaven. To know God the way that God wants to be known in my humanity, but Jesus does. And he makes it possible for us and all this time, we keep reading this story of Jesus' birth as if it is just Jesus' birth. But what if this is also your story? What if this is also the story of your birth? One day, you are minding your ordinary business, doing your ordinary things, and somebody showed up. Hello, gifted lady! Whether that was at an altar whether that was in a church or in a hospital or a funeral home, I don't know. But they showed up. Hello, my child. I bring you good news and hope in abundance. See, Jesus was born into this world so that we might know him and that you would be introduced to your real dad. What if this story is not just Mary's? What if this story is about God also accepting us? I, I like how Paul says it in Galatians. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us, his very own children. 
And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call Abba, Father. Now you are no longer slaves, but God's own children. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This is not just his story. This is your story. You know, he was born... He was God's first son, but he wasn't his only son and daughter. See, Jesus came so that we would have an adoption process by which we meet our heavenly father, and we have a relationship with him that that we would not just be absent fathered in our lives, but that we would know him, and we would know him intimately. That's the beauty of what happened that day with Mary. Not just, hello, gifted lady, but hello, world, come home. I want to invite uh, the worship team up. And there are a couple of questions that I want you to ponder during our prayer and worship time. And the first one is this. With what concept of God did you become a Christian? You know, what did God look like when you became a Christian? Sometimes those images that we have, they're not correct. Uh, Steve Deneff, he talks about this. He said that his concept of God was the Lincoln Memorial, where you can barely touch his foot, where if you're a child, you have to be lifted up in order to see his face. What concept of God do you have? Is it a father? And the next one is this, what does God know about himself that you don't know? Now, this isn't a theological question, okay? Theologians can point you to the mouth of a cave and say, wander around and bump into some stuff. But there are things that only love can teach us. What, do we, what does God know about himself that I don't know? What are some things that his love needs to teach me? Now, um, on Sunday mornings, I come pretty early and I practice my sermon and I bring my dog because, you know, she's a security attack dog, if you've ever met her. And uh, <laughs> I bring her with me. And, and Lucy, I love her to death. Um, like, I missed her so much when I was gone. It's sad. But anyway, so uh, I bring her over, and every single morning, if I don't remember to shut all of the doors, she just kind of wanders, as dogs do. But this is the problem, is that Lucy is scared of the stairs. She's not scared to go down them. She's scared to go up them. And, And so what happens is that I'll be standing here preaching, practicing to an empty room, and all of a sudden I hear, And I walk over to that door over there, and I look down, and she's standing at the stairs, wiggling, terrified, crying. And all she needs is for me to say, Lucy, come on. You got this. You got this. I'm right here. You got this. You can come. And when she sees my encouragement, she races up the stairs. Listen, I think that that's what happens when we don't have 
dad, God, as our father. We get stuck. It's easy to go down the stairs. It's difficult to get back up them. And all we need is for him to encourage us and to say, Lindsay, I'm here. Lindsay, you can do this. Would you pray with me? Lord, I think that some of us are stuck. Jesus, we're stuck in this identity that isn't you. Lord, that isn't being adopted as a son and a daughter, Jesus. Lord, we get stuck in sin. We get stuck in addictive behaviors. We get stuck in these identities that never were meant to be ours. But Lord, I know that you stand at the top of the stairs and you say, you got this. I'm here, I'm with you. Holy Spirit, this morning as we worship, God, and as we proclaim that you are a good, good Father, Jesus, can we believe that with all of our hearts? That you are not some God that we can not see and not experience, but you are our Father, and you want to Father us. God, we love you so much, and we are so grateful that you are the only measuring stick for a father. Lord, that the love that we may experience or have experienced, Lord, it, it looks nothing compared to who you are. That you gave everything so that we could run up the stairs and be close with you. Jesus, this Christmas, we want to start here. God, we want to start with you. Lord, we love you. Would you worship with me?